The college year at Wyoming Catholic College ends, as it does in most colleges, with the formality and pomp of graduation as we award degrees and bid farewell to a class. The year here begins with another largely forgotten ceremony, equally formal, meaningful, and full of academic pomp, matriculation. This is Dr. Jim Tonkwich, your host for these After Dinner Scholar podcasts from Wyoming Catholic College. Matriculation includes a ceremony wherein each new freshman walks forward to sign the matricula, the large leather-bound book that contains the names and signatures of every Wyoming Catholic student since the school's inception. This year's ceremony was a little different because in addition to welcoming new students, Dr. Glenn Arbery passed the baton, welcoming the college's new president, Professor Kyle Washett. Here is newly appointed President Washett's remarks to the Wyoming Catholic College class of 2027. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? The very same question that Jesus asked his followers can be asked of you students gathered here. Not only about your 21-day trip, but about your arrival in Lander Valley. What have you come to this high mountain desert of Wyoming to see? Certainly not football stadiums, fancy dormitories, <laughs> shopping malls, or even a normal-sized airplane. <laughs> what, then, did you come to see? I am convinced, dear students, that God has drawn you to these mountains for the same reason that he has always gathered his people in the wilderness. God calls his people to his mountain as he promised in the prophet Isaiah this morning so that he may bestow his merciful love upon them. He calls them so that he may teach them and in mercifully teaching them, set them free. God calls his people to the desert mountain to receive a radically liberating education. It is an education undertaken in community, requiring self-sacrifice, that opens up onto a new way of seeing the world around us, and which ultimately transforms us at the very center of our being. Throughout salvation history, education in the wilderness has always been a communal affair. Abraham and his household, Moses and Israel, David and his men, even Elijah, who seems to be alone on the mountain, is told by God that he's actually part of a larger community of faithful. And God uses this communal edu education because by its very nature, to undertake the journey of a liberating education is to share in a good that is greater than any one of us. And in the sharing of this good, the community itself 
becomes the very instrument of that education. Think about your 21-day excursion. It was precisely in the experience of journeying as a group that you mutually formed each other. So too with all aspects of this education. It is the common life in the dorms, over lunch tables, in classrooms, offices, family homes, in common readings, and a shared rule of life that this education plays out in. Now, it's not all bliss. The Israelites complained bitterly throughout their wilderness education. <laughs> they had thought their liberation was defined by merely getting out of Egypt. And they were wrong. It, were, it was in their asceticism and sacrifice along the journey that it was revealed to them what God more fundamentally desired to free them from. We all have to be brought to know what we don't know. Only then are we capable of being taught, of really coming to knowledge. A huge part of freshman year is directed to this. And Plato relishes in the discussion. But this education will constantly confront us with our own limitations, our ignorance. It will demand that we give up certain attachments. The Israelites had to endure the loss of the flesh pots of Egypt before they could see how attached they actually were to pagan habits. They had to turn off the habits of the culture that had infiltrated their minds before they could be free, not just exteriorly, but interiorly as well. So too, we need to break off from the noise and cultural habits that hide our own ignorance from us. The inundating drone of ubiquitous screens fills our lives with such busyness and distraction that we are not even able to hear that still small voice that called us into this wilderness. Turning off those screens, however, reveals an even stronger enslavement. For the last several hundred years, modern Western society has been devoted to enslaving the work of reason. No longer do we assume that knowing the truth, especially truth himself, and so being transformed by that knowledge, no longer do we assume that experience is the peak of human joy. Rather, thinking and studying are solely for the sake of productivity. Our minds are not seen as profoundly spiritual and personal powers at the core of our being, but merely electric brain waves ordered to securing money, power, and pleasure. The only thing that can justify going to college is the job that you will obtain or the societal transformation that you will learn to affect. But that's a lie. Knowing the truth about who you are, about the nature of reality, about God himself, is good for its own sake. Our minds must not be enslaved to the politics of the day, the daily workforce, or the temptations of hedonism. But it gets worse. 
In instrumentalizing reason, society has instrumentalized all the wonders of the material creation that surround us. Our bodies and our world in general are reduced to mere instruments for money, power, or pleasure. Societally, we are like Uncle Andrew in C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew, a man who observes the miracle of the creation of Narnia and only thinks about how he can commodify this fecund reality before him. In short, all you students who are not freshmen, we could all say together, the world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending we waste our hours. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, sorting through. The sea that bears its bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours, and are gathered now as sleeping flowers. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. Great God, I rather be a pagan, suckle in a creed outworn. So might I, standing on this pleasant thee, have glimpses that would make me less forlorn, have a sight of the earliest rising from the sea, or hear old Franklin blow his dreaming horn. But Wordsworth's wrong in suggesting that the only solution is to, to return to some pagan, mythical, magical view of nature. Rather, God, out of his merciful love, has called us as a community to be an instrument of a liberating education that calls us to fast from certain societal opinions and habits so as to become attentive to the real meaning of this world that seems too much with us. That is what happened for Peter, James, and John when they together journeyed up the desert mountain of Tabor and beheld Christ's transfiguration and his dazzlingly white garments. St. Maximus the Confessor notes that the focus on the garments calls to mind the psalm's image of God wrapping himself in the light of creation as if in a garment. The world is like the divine robe, ready to testify to the glory concealed within it. It is like a veritable tapestry, or we might say a book, revealing the grandeur of God. To coin a phrase, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. We should probably go from there. The Having fasted from the distraction and reductionism of the society around us, we are more free to really see the world so charged. 
more free to really hear our friends in the conversations about the most important things, more free to really read books and be transformed by them. And in so doing, we will find Christ concealed and revealed in 10,000 places in these mountains, in 10,000 pages of math, science, literature, philosophy, and more, and we will hear his voice within 10,000 conversations that we undertake with our friends. God does not, however, want us to only see the glory of his garments, but he wants us to look upon him face to face. An ancient Christian hymn declares that in his transfiguration, Christ revealed the glory of his face to his apostles insofar as they were able to receive it. Our ability to perceive the transfigured glory of Christ depends on the extent to which we ourselves have been transfigured by our liberating education. The experience of the wilderness, of fasting, of the ache that arises within our hearts as we pursue truth and struggle with questions, all of this is ordered to an interior transformation. It is no accident that the word transfiguration is used in only two contexts in the New Testament. One, in describing the event of Christ on Mount Tabor, and the second, by St. Paul, in addressing his fellow Christians. Do not be conformed to the spirit of this age, he writes, but be transfigured by the renewal of your mind. You have come to these mountains and Lander Valley that you might be transfigured, that you might be transformed by the virtue and wisdom that forms within your mind over these four years. Be transformed so that you may come to perceive the glory of God's truth beauty and goodness reflected in his creation and his revelation and carried in your own minds. And when this happens, dear students, you will say with Peter, it is good for us to be here. But like the great wandering cowboys of the Westerns, you're not here to stay. You're just passing through. These four years at Wyoming Catholic are part sanctuary and retreat, but also part outpost, a stopping place on your journey back to the towns, back to radiate the light that has transfigured your mind into a world that desperately needs it. So that's been very heady, very exciting. Let me give you very three very practical things that we're going to focus on for this year in pursuing this. And those three points are each taken respectively from one of the three founders of Wyoming Catholic College, Bishop David Ricken, Father Simeon Cook, and Dr. Robert Carlson. The first, pray for divine mercy. This liberating education is a work of mercy, poured out by God, who in his mercy has made us as members of this community instruments of that mercy instruments of that education. 
The first thing Bishop Ricken taught me when I was a bratty little teen was to pray the Jesus prayer, linking the cry for mercy to my very breath, breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, and breathing out, have mercy on me. Or if jogging, you can just go with Jesus and mercy. (laughs) He recommends spending time each day linking your breath to this cry for mercy. Here at the college, we are further committed to praying for divine mercy in our communal prayer of the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day at three or as close as your class schedule allows for it. Let's all pray daily in groups, if possible, for this mercy to be poured out on our work here, in the hallways, in the oratory, in our offices. And further, let's try to commit to gathering as a community once a week. We'll try it on Fridays and see how it works for a liturgical celebration. Receiving the Eucharist together. And let us also to commit to praying Vespers, at least, we'll start out small, at least once a month, every Saturday evening. But let us commit to pray for this divine mercy. Number two, turn off the noise. Father Simeon Cook never let me turn the radio on in his car. He said, have at least some seconds of quiet in your life, kid. (laughs) Take, Take that how you will. So let us do more than to submit to the letter of our technology policy. But let us all, faculty, staff, and students, try to live out the spirit of this technological fast. Let us fast as best we can from social media. Prioritize personal communication via notes or face-to-face conversation over email and chat. Let us leave the screen off as much as possible. And at the minimum, let us all commit to make for soddy lunch a completely screen-free experience for every one of us. Number three, fill your time with the stories of this education. Dr. Robert Carlson was a master storyteller, and he knew a community is formed by sharing its stories. Let us commit to reading voraciously and then sharing with each other the fruits of our reading and study. Let us fill the lunchroom and the dorms with conversation about what we have done, not only in the outdoors and in stargazing and on horseback, but also in the chapel, in our careful readings, and in our intense classroom discussions. Let us fill our community with songs and with the recitation of poetry that we just hinted at this afternoon. In 1001 Arabian Nights, the heroine has to tell stories every night because her life depends on it. Our community life is in the same situation. It depends on us sharing the adventure of this liberating education and having regular, 
personal conversations about that adventure. Communal bonding is not opposed to our life of education, but is rather, as I've said, the very instrument through which the education takes place. And if we leave it aside, we will lose those friendships that we so desperately are seeking. So three things. Let us pray for divine mercy. Let us turn the noise off. And let us fill our community with the stories of this education. So let me conclude by just telling a story. At the end of the second century, Origen of Alexandria, a pretty heady theologian who had devoted his life to the study of philosophy and literature and theology and making tons of subtle distinctions, he went to a synod of bishops. And at that time, the Synod of Bishops was consumed by a debate about the subtle nuances of a philosophy of soul, what the soul was and how that worked with the resurrection. And it was a wild meeting. We have the transcript. And things are going back and forth, and people are yelling and holding various positions. And in the midst of all of that craziness, this young man, this young, intense, crazy scholar, stopped talking, sort of withdrew into himself. And the whole room quiets down. And they all look at Origen. And he raises his head and he looks around to all the bishops. And he says with a quiet, passionate intensity, this is all very good, but we must not lose sight of the most important thing. I beg you, my brothers, he said, be transformed. Resolve to learn that you can be transformed so that we all may be changed from glory to glory into Christ-likeness. My dear students, you have come to the wilderness not to see fine raiment or to dispassionately observe landscapes. You have come to approach the mountain of the Lord, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind with what is good and pleasing and perfect. Let everything from your first breath be done for that purpose. Be transformed. Our Lady Seat of Wisdom. Pray. Pope Benedict XVI remarked, quote, The task of a teacher is not simply to impart information or to provide training in skills intended to deliver some economic benefit to society. Education is not and must never be considered as purely utilitarian. It is about forming the human person, equipping him or her to live life to the full. In short, it is about imparting wisdom, and true wisdom is inseparable from knowledge of the Creator. For, quote, both we and our words are in His hands, as are all understanding 
and skill in crafts from Wisdom 7, 16, close quote. Pope Benedict's remarks nicely reflect the vision we have at Wyoming Catholic College for all of our students. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.